0: For February 1st, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast episode 657, How We Climbed or Were Clum. Hey, it's Overthinking It where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are using <laughs> our literary studies degrees to actually do some literary studies. I'm Matt, and that's Pete. Hey, Pete, how are you? Finally. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the poem, the verse, has come back to the podcast. You know, they tell you you
1: don't use an English degree, but start a podcast and wait 13 years. Uh, You're welcome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Overthinking.com slash join. Five bucks a month, guys. Those student loans don't pay themselves. Uh, all right. Well, Pete, let's just dive back in like, uh, like, um, the Lord of the Rings movies. Let's, you know, not, not waste a whole lot of time with, uh, previously on the, uh, inaugural poem, uh, the hill we climb. Let's just dive back in. When we left, we had just finished with a, uh, oh see now I'm doing it. We had just finished, uh, we seek harm to none and harmony for all. And we continue. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true: that even as we grieved, we grew; that even as we hurt, we hoped; that even as we tired, we tried. That will be for uh, that will be forever. That will forever be tied together, victorious. Right.
1: Do you want to talk about the phenolo- phenology? Phonology is the wrong word, right? What's the, what's the term that you're using? Well, so I the, mean, uh- there
0: there are two. This is a, a great question. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'll take it from here, and you can go get a get a. Get a drink from the next half or the next hour. I actually like, this was probably like two straight hours of John Hollander in college answering this, (laughs) answering this question in a long, long seminar. And he always apologized. John Hollander, the, the literary critic, poet and sort of great teacher that Pete and I both experienced in, in college. Experienced. We had the experience, um, that we both took a class from in college. Uh, and, and, um, he was always kind of apologetic. Like, guys, I really, like, am sorry that I'm using this, this 50 cent word phonology or phonological to discuss these things. But what I'm talking about is the, the meaning making, um, relationships and the sound relationships and how those relationships relate, right? You have the, the, the sound purely as kind of an aesthetic phenomenon and
1: then <laughs>
0: <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then you have the you have the kind of the the way that the language creates meaning and the way the the poem creates meaning in this particular language like for example the hill we climb you know um so the idea of like climbing and descending or like you know high and low uh, as our friend the noble duke of york found in the last episode of this podcast right so there's the meaning making part where there's kind of a relationship of ideas and then there's the um phonetic or ph- phonesthetic part that is a relationship of sounds. And, and when we talk about phonology, we're talking about how the, the sound relationships relate to the meaning relationships, how those two things are, are organized. And one of the things that makes poetry poetry as opposed to just being verse, as opposed to being just like a Hallmark card or a little jingle or like jingle bells, Batman smells Robin laid an egg or whatever, right? The, um, the, that relationship, uh, is intact in, really all great in all great poems that that like something something happens with sound that relates to something that happens with meaning uh of and you know words is the the words are the the is the battlefield the landscape uh upon upon which our sounds march so let's let's talk about these words um a little bit right grieved and grew hurt hoped tired tried and then a, an internal rhyme that will be, be, uh, f- that will forever be tied together victorious, right? So two things grieved, we grew, we hurt, we hoped. So there's, there's alliteration, right? And what this does is, is it establishes, uh, a rhythm. Now in the comments for the last episode, I don't know if you, you saw this, Pete, but I, uh, talked a little bit with frequent commenter John C about, um, these alliterative things. And there's, there's, a a whole bunch of them. There was one really big, uh, there was one really big one. Where was it, Pete? Oh, come on. Um, uh, colors, uh, culture committed to all, co- a country committed. Oh, sorry. Compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions. Yes. Uh, of man, right? That we, that we talked about last week. There, there it is. And so, um, before rhyme, uh, was the kind of the big organizing principle of English poetry way back in the, the, you know, the time of the Angles and the Saxons. The, um, the main metrical mode, uh, man was, <laughs> the, uh, alliteration. So the, um, the poems were in these kind of generally four beat lines da 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 and you know not not super regular um but like four beat lines and generally two or three of them would alliterate so it would be like a a a x you know yeah. um It it is great that you're mentioning
1: this now. Some of our commenters mentioned this on the last episode and I was excited to see it because I knew it was something we're going to have to address in uh, talking about this poem at some point. So I'm glad we're taking it on now. It's an interesting proposition. It
0: it is an interesting proposition. And given some of the claims that we made, uh, it is certainly less outlandish than a lot of the claims that we made in the last (laughs) uh, in the last episode. I and uh, I guess that. I guess that like what was sort of co-opting a co-opting the kind of the oldest form of Anglo-Saxon, uh, verse in order to, you know, um, address a country that neither the angles nor the Saxons would have thought was, uh, uh, you know, what was remotely possible. I I hear it more as a, like, as this, the poem as oratory, right? Because the 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 thing that alliteration does, I mean, one is it establishes a rhythm and like kind of creating momentum in oratory is something that's that's really important. Or else you end up just sounding like Ben Stein, you know. You end up mm-hmm. sounding like Mueller, um, Mueller, right? Like. Uh, without even hitting the B that hard, and Bueller, 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 <laughs> the uh, so that it it establishes momentum. and The other thing it does is it increases memorability. You know that like who who would remember, um, really, Spiro Agnew? Uh, though except I, he was a a. Um, it was a crossword clue, I think, on Monday, last Monday in the New York Times. Uh, except uh, except for that uh William Sapphire speech, the nattering nabobs of negativism, uh that like yeah, sticks and sticks in the ear forever. And that like um that uh memorability is is the thing. So like to me this this it, all the alliteration, like all these sort of very obvious auditory effects. Uh, obvious auditory effects are, um, you know, sort of a nod to me to the idea that this poem is performance partner and that, right. like, the, uh, the, uh, that, that it's going to be, um, sort of recited and not sort of heard with the inner ear. Um, the, the, uh, or as Keith says, uh, not to the sensual ear, but more endeared. <laughs> Pipe to the spirit ditties of no tone. Um, and, and the, the other thing actually that, that we haven't even talked about is that like there is a, um, there was sort of a series of, of hand gestures that Gorman did during the thing. And I've watched other videos of her reciting and she does, she does this. It's a thing. Like there are these not exactly stylized, not, you know, but these, these sort of non-naturalistic, uh, hand moves and mm-hmm. that th- sort of connects it to performance and ritual a little bit in my mind. Like the idea that there are kind of like, you know, postures, you know, that go along with the, uh, that go along with the phrases and that, that is sort of important um in the incantation uh of it. And so these are, these are things, but I want to at least f- uh, to at least highlight one, um, Relationship that is, at least to me, a little less obvious, right? Rather than the kind of the, the rhythm or memorability created by the, the alliteration, there's something, something interesting going on with the vowel sounds here. Um, and this is, again, this is straight out of Hollander, uh, which is a, a little known album that, that we are cutting right now. Um, that the, uh, the vowel sounds, right? Have I talked about this on the podcast before? Probably. I don't have that many ideas and we've done 600 plus (laughs) episodes. Um, that the vowel sounds have something to do with, uh, past and future, uh, uh, the present past tense in the German strong verb system. So, right. Like, um, what, what is the German strong verb system? Well, you know that in English, a lot of the times to, to make a past tense, a lot of the time to make a past tense verb, you add, uh, ed on the end like um you know uh like i bread <laughs> which is to apply crumbs to uh, like a chicken cutlet or something and then yesterday i breaded <laughs> to uh because <laughs> yesterday i i applied the com- crumbs this is not the way that the the sort of original Kind of Germanic, uh, origins of English did it. Uh, you do it by changing the stem vowel of the verb. So, so the difference between like take and took, right? Today I take, yesterday I took, and that, um, the change in vowel sounds, uh, is an important thing, um, in how verbs are constructed and that that kind of relationship, uh, can be echoed. In poetry so a couple right. couple of lines so, so for example right this is
1: this is actually what's actually happening and i'm not entirely joking in the word crunk right <laughs> which is which is that crunk has a dimension of a past participial form in that it implies that you're acting in a manner such that you have both had something to drink and or have gotten yourself upset right so crunk is sort of a faux germanic past tense of of crank yep. right to crank yourself up you've been crunked right you uh, you 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 are crunk because you have been crunked because you did crank right and so that's the phenomenon we're talking about yes. so sorry if you want to point out the he did, the, uh, the example. He, did
0: he, he did crank yeah that's uh, that's absolutely right yep. and um Yeah, if I
1: may, if I may, for just a moment, just for a moment,
0: because I I just want to jump in for a second. I mean, I start, I started in like I really just have been have been monologuing this time. Who do I think I I I am? Listening,
1: I am listening, and we're all listening. But I wanted to add this. I think it's useful in especially English is tricky. One of the many things that makes English tricky is the layering of the different linguistic. Uh, influences that correspond to the history of the invasion of the British Isles, right, which is something I lean on a lot when talking about the history and structure of language and its its word forms and verb forms and, and vocabulary, right? I love to tread out the old, you know, pig is pig and pork is pork. And you've never really questioned why in English we have two different words for these things that are from two different languages. But then you remember that the Anglo-Saxon raised the pig and the, and the Norman ate it right? And that's why you use the one word for the other and so on and so forth. And and I think it is tempting and often yields insights to look at the through line in which different Uh, I guess I would even say tools in the toolbox in a particular language arrive into use, right? You could say, okay, this is from this is from German. The words involving the law and Latin, they might come from Old Norse, right? Because when the Vikings invaded, they brought a legal system that didn't previously exist, right? When the Danes or whatever came in or, or, you know, various the various kind of layers. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every tool that originated in the language for a particular reason related to an ethnic migration, remains dedicated strictly to the purposes and traditions of that ethnicity, right? It's, it's, and it's tricky because I think it, it doesn't—Anglo-Saxon poetry doesn't cease to be Anglo-Saxon poetry when the tools that it has left behind are picked up and used to do other things. And it, it, is, it strains credulity to refer to it strictly as appropriative because the tools are so basic to English, Right, alliteration, right? Uh, stressed alliteration. There's only so many different ways that you can arrange the sounds in English. And and I, I don't think you can really say that stressed alliteration is always going to belong to this one particular group of people. And I think we also need to monitor racial essentialism in the sense that, yeah, sure, we may look at this, you know, if we're like J.R.R. Tolkien or whatever, and we'll be like, well, the real England is the Anglo-Saxon England and the Norman England is the fake England, right? Which is, you know, whatever, man, elves are real. Um, <laughs> <laughs> elves are real and French English people are not, um, but. Uh, <laughs> no, they're going,
0: they're going into the West. too. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> to they, found they're going to Wales. Yeah, <laughs> they, bought,
1: they bought country homes in Wales. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's uh, it, it's that um, it's that we might think that in particular the white Forms and tools that are used in English must necessarily be different from the Black forms and tools that are used in English until you sit down and like openly acknowledge, you know, say African American Vernacular English as a dialect of English that shares dimensions with other dialects that are regionally uh, proximate to it, right? As it might be in any sort of other dialectical continuum, uh, right? In in the sense of like a, a when, Southern person. When you, you know, say di-
0: when you say dialectical, Pete. <laughs> I'm using the wrong word. Uh, <laughs>
1: but what I mean is when two languages meet, and they just have a big old argument. No, <laughs> it's uh, no. You know what I mean? Uh, when well, maybe you don't. But the idea that you know within a language, right? If you have people French, who have adopted a particular mode of speaking, Francais, you
0: know, yeah, exactly it's a, it's a thesis antithesis, synthesis. <laughs> it's a dialect dialectic. Yes.
1: Yes, and, and yes, and the uh, this is this is from that great work of uh, Hegel, uh, Rico Suave. Ale <laughs> ale, uh, but um, no, it's it's that even where where a language is spoken, and it's interesting, I think, that we that despite conjecture, what conjecture might lead us to suppose would happen, this has not stopped happening in the age of the internet. Uh, people who live in particular places and speak a particular language will drift with their neighbors towards speaking it slightly differently from other people. And and so if you have two places that are relatively close to each other, they might drift in a manner that's relatively close to each other to a greater degree than the ones that are far away. Right. And so, and so one of the weird things that happens in English uh, in America is we have a whole ton of people from the South who all pick up and move to the North all at the same time, which jumbles up all of our dialects right? Because we had Southern dialects and Northern dialects and there's like a continuum and then it all just sort of gets turned over. And there's this burst of kind of creative destruction in the language. And of course, the United States is a place where there's a lot of migration all the time. People are, immigrants are coming in and out. People are moving here and there in trains and, and in uh, covered wagons and cars and whatnot. So uh, uh, in that order. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, I'm just, what I'm saying is that I think that if you look at Uh, African-American prosody in the broad sense, you find more than a few elements that you can identify as having been associated with a descent from Anglo-Saxon English as distinct from Norman English uh, or Old English even, right? Um, Or I should say Anglo-Saxon, the Anglo-Saxon side of that transformation from a patois into a delicious slurry known as Middle English, right, uh-huh. um, yeah. as, as the sort of different versions of it fused together. Well, the big one that always comes up that that uh, you can always kind of point to is the word axe, right, mm. wherein axe is an Old English form of the word ask, totally normal, probably more common in old in Anglo-Saxon Old English than the word ask was. Right. And yet X is what's used in, you know, or what might be used right in certain sorts of African-American vernacular English Um and and people be like, oh, they're saying it wrong, and it's like, well, no, actually, it's kind of more right if you're J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Like that's the, <laughs> that's what the the Numenoreans would say, right? Da, like that's da, 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 <laughs> when N- Isildur <laughs> was looking for that ring, he was going to ask people some questions about it. That's why Ghibli, of course, is going to give his axe to people because he's like hundreds of years old. But no, 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 I, I'm mixing I'm mixing ridiculousness with non ridiculousness. The point being that I wonder if there is a dimension to which. Uh, alliterative accented poetry has a rhetorical tradition as well as a poetical tradition in African-American culture, right? In addition to its heritage in Anglo-Saxon culture. And, and I think that we don't, and that even to make the distinction between the two seem like it is necessary is itself uh, to, to butcher Hart Crane lending a myth to Racial essentialism, right? Uh, wherein actually people are picking up and using the tools in various ways over various course of time. So, anyway, this is, we're, we're about three lines in. To the second half. Well, yeah, no,
0: not 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 even. You know, that's the that's the, and we're,
1: and we're halfway through the entire oeuvre of Ezra Pound. While we're at it, Hey, <laughs>
0: <That's a, laughs> it all, Robert Browning. Um The uh, yeah, well, I think that's uh, right. I think that that's interesting, and I think we get sort of moralized ideas about. I actually don't even want to use the a word appropriation, but about the kind of the the jumbling, the use and misuse of. The use and misuse of sound tools, you know, right. Um, because really the whole poetic impulse is, oh, yeah, you did that. Well, I'm going to do it a little different. You know, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you did that. Like, I think I can actually do it better Uh that, um, you know, and and the problem comes the problem comes politically. Like the problem comes with with in grouping and out grouping with, you know, the sort of power relationships and when uh And when like some people can't make a living on their sound tools and uh Elvis becomes the most famous pop singer in the world. So, right, like that's the but but it's a different concern, I suppose, than if you're considering just the, you know, the analysis of the poetry in some in some sense, not that there aren't like not that there isn't a kind of place in history kind of reading to be done on on works of of literature but that also just sort of the the machinery i don't know some sometimes the machinery sort of stands outside of time which is a convenient enough thing for me to say but when you know one thing that sort of does does stand outside of time or at least one sound tool I think that's that's being used here that would be um difficult to essentialize along like political or racial or uh you know other kinds of of cleavages lines um is the idea of grieved to grew hurt to hoped uh tired to tried in my i mean say them to yourself and think but i think that those vowels move front they they become more frontal e u mm. right er o oh, uh i r i or i r i right like that that they go from a, th- uh, from like a back position to a front position. This may be technically, technically untrue, but it's kind of how I feel my tongue moving when I'm, when I'm saying them. So I'm going to wait for the linguists to, well, actually me in the comments. And this is, this is kind of the opposite of the way that, that at least I am aware of this effect being used in, in Sydney's, you know, the nymphs reply to the shepherd, which is the, the kind of the diss track on, uh, Marlowe's the passionate shepherd to his love. Come, come live with me and be my love. Um, he has the line, uh, when he's talking about, when he's talking about, yeah, yeah, uh, you, you you love me now, but just wait till I'm, wait till I'm old. You won't want me anymore. So I'm not going to give in to you now is what the nymph says. Um, and describes this sort of beautifully as time drives flocks, time drives the flocks from field to fold. And when you go E to O from Mm -hmm. a front vowel to a back vowel that, uh, mimics the way, uh, the movement of like take to took, right? From a front valve to a, back vowel from from a present tense vowel to a uh, present tense word to a um, to a past tense word the, the from, other from crank to crunk from crank to crunk <laughs> yes. right title the uh, the um, the other big one uh, that's a kind of banner use of this is in Shakespeare in, uh went to the sessions of sweet silent thought I summon up uh, legal metaphor by the way sessions being judicial sessions and summon up being like call to the witness stand went to the sessions of sweet silent thought, I summon up remembrance of things past, I sigh the lack of many a thing I sought. Again, sigh, sought. A front vowel to a back vowel and the uh, dental suffix also, just to hammer home, uh, like E-D or T, you know, bring, brought, sigh, sought. Uh, As though sigh were the past tense of uh, as though sought were the past tense of sigh you know as though field were the present tense of fold and to a certain extent right as though grieved were the pa- is the past tense of grew uh, even though these are all past tense verbs you know it, syntactically what i'm saying is that phonologically a relationship is created where even as we grieved we grew even as we hurt Past tense, we hoped as though that were the present tense, even as we tired, we tried as those. And so it sort of conscripts these words into a relationship of meaning with their relationship of sound. That is my half of the podcast. I'm at rather <laughs> take it away, Pete.
1: <laughs> All right. So to move through it, that, that's brilliant. I love this poem is great, by the way. It's really this, good. Uh,
0: yeah. And it's it actually gets better the more the more we look at it, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: which is a great sign of a great poem. So we I, I'm excited about the next section, but before we get into it, I just want to point out the two triptychs, the two triples here. Uh, the two, three, I guess, what, three line stanzas that even as we grieve, we grew that even as we hurt, we hoped that even as we tired, we tried. And then there's the line that will be forever tied. that we'll forever be tied together victorious. The tied rhymes with the tried. And so it, it sort of is the that sort of half line wraps up that three line uh, phrase. And then victorious leads into not because we'll never again know defeat, but we will never again sow division. So division. Scripture tells us to envision, and the 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 poem, as we've mentioned before, switches styles throughout, and and does so, I think, to great effect. And one of the things that it does is it switches back and forth from end stop lines to heavily enjambed lines, and the this sort of catapults it into a new section by hitting a really heavy. Uh, enjambment here, right? Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, which doesn't rhyme with any of it. So so you have uh, no defeat rhymes with so division, right? Um, and then uh, we'll be tied together victorious. Uh, and then it's, let's see, and scripture tells us to envision. So it's no and so division envision. It's a little dog leg rhyme where each line is sort of tucked into the line that kind of came before it. Uh, and I just feel like that was a that's a cool little section break, right? It's a cool way of, of kind of turning the focus and moving to the next section of the poem. um and it also I think works rhetorically you You mentioned the usage of gesture, right? um I would even add that we know that uh Amanda Gorman right I'm so may, correct me if I say her name wrong, I want to make sure I get it right um, that she's what's her last name again?
0: Oh, sorry, I was muted. Yes, I was agreeing with you the whole time. <laughs> All right, good, 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 good. Who sorry. just who just joined? Uh, yes, who just joined? Sorry, thank you. Uh,
1: um, is she? Of course, studied Winston Churchill, and, and oh, I mean, she also mentions Martin Luther King, but she studied uh, kind of twentieth-century rhetoric. And if you want to go back to real classic rhetoric, which mid-20th century rhetoricians would have learned in school, you would also have learned the five canons of rhetoric, the last of which is delivery, right? And these are these are from ancient, you know, these are from, from Roman philosophy. Uh, they are invention, arrangement, style, memory, and delivery. And, and it, it was even to the point where certain gestures were associated with making certain points. So the idea that you would make abstract hand movements in order to accompany a speech is something that comes out of classical and sort of neoclassical rhetoric, which is a tradition she's drawing on in giving this speech poem. Uh, Because it is a speech poem, but it is also a poem that is speech. But at any rate, this brings us into the next section of the poem, which is probably my favorite overall section. Where other than one other line that comes a little farther down, and if we talk fast enough, then we can get to it and still talk about it. Which is the this is the president section, right? So scripture t- scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, right? Uh, this is of course from Hamilton, <laughs> right? Um, this is although I don't think he says I don't know if he says in well, Hamilton. I, well, actually,
0: Pete, it's from the Bible. <laughs>
1: Is, is that what you call Hamilton these days? Is that what the kids call Hamilton? Uh, actually, it's from George Washington, quoting the Bible, being quoted in Hamilton, right? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yes, so it's an interesting quote. It's an interesting quotation, rather. Uh, rather, There we go. It's poetry. Uh, rather, it's an interesting quote quotation um, in that, you know, in the Bible, you're kind of making a promise about things that will happen in the future, uh I'm trying to remember exactly the context that it was. It comes up a couple of times. There's a bunch of different vines and fig trees in the Bible. Uh, I think this one might be from the book of Judges, um, uh, which is very heavily concerned with the Philistines and the Israelites and the land of milk and honey and its providence. Uh, but the one of the interesting pieces here is its American context, which is that the the line in the musical Hamilton: everyone shall sit under a fig tree. Is used as a rhetorical and symbolic expression of uh, Washington's abdication, right? Washington's refusal to run for a third term of office. The notion that the end of democracy, the the sort of objective of instituting a republic, is to. give everybody the opportunity to have their own little piece of land, right. To have their own thing that only they own. And that is entirely unto themselves. It paints Washington as a Jeffersonian, ironically enough, uh, while preaching to, uh, to Hamilton about the, about the topic. Though of course in Hamilton, Jefferson is not a Jeffersonian. Um, uh, but that, that is, that is neither here nor there. The The point is that um in, In Washington's actual expression of this in history, it's actually about religious Pluralism and tolerance. Right. The idea that the United States is going to be a place where people can each practice their religion without fear of oppression or remonstration or restriction from the government and uh, that the government will support people in this. And it appears in a letter that Washington wrote to uh, Congregation Jesuit Israel in Rhode Island about trying to ease their fears about how this new country is going to treat this religious minority in New England. And uh, and he says, you know, we want to be a place where everyone shall sit under their, as it says, you know, in the scripture, everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. Right. You will have your space where you will be safe. I will have my space where I am safe. Um you can contrast this if you feel like it. I don't necessarily recommend doing this, but <laughs> if you feel like it, you can go to the last, the previous inaugural speech, which goes by the uh, pithy name American Carnage, if you're looking for it,
0: which is of course by President Trump. Favorite Green Day song, American yeah, Carnage. Exactly
1: American. Do you want to be an American Carnage? Go crazy, turn red, and tear down telephables. Uh <laughs> That's a Spider-Man joke. Um, at any rate, It's uh, he says that um, I want to make sure I get the quote right. Uh, The Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Right. So the quote about the fig tree, the quotation about the fig tree is a direct refutation, though perhaps I don't know if it's an intentional one, doesn't really matter to Trump's choice of Bible verse, which is about uh, the chosen people, you know, being one people as opposed to uh, although, of course, the way he's phrasing it is. You know is a little bit different than it's often construed uh in various sorts of approaches to world churches right and and the notion of different peoples living together uh in various degrees of conformity or non-conformity but the point being that i think it's interesting that she attributes the quote to scripture when even the kids who've only seen hamilton know that it's from washington yeah right which to me says two things one it's appealing to an authority older than washington and saying and saying well we're not necessarily looking to Washington as as the person who said this we we're sort of it's sort of like how the mandalorian isn't based off star wars it's based off of kurosawa <laughs> right yeah. it's like it's like well if you want to make another star wars you don't copy star wars you copy the thing that star wars copied huh. right <laughs> um, the other way of looking at it is that washington is being presented as in sort of a semi ironic way as an american scripture Right. We've been seeing through this poem that she's brought up critical moments in the history of uh, the expressions in particular of ideas of race and of uh, uh, of, I would say, aspirations to racial progress and is kind of undercutting them a little bit as part of her playing with past and future. Right. The notion that the past is something that we both endured and also were subjected to and uh, and that the present is this opportunity. To move forward from that. And so we can look back at the things that we've been through that have been inflicted upon us, but that we've also been through right in a positive way. Uh, But we're not going to use them as the sole basis for how we choose to move forward. Now, we sort of expect ourselves to be better now. So in this sense, Washington is the scripture of America because he's the thing that you're kind of basing. He's this sort of holy word that's been rarefied over time, but has also lost its immediacy to an extent. It's kind of arcane, right? Scripture tells us to do this, but what are we actually going to do now, right? Because I think—I even I don't think it's controversial to su- suggest that scripture has a rarefied quality that separates it from the immediate and the temporal, hmm. right? Um, and, and so— Uh, there's an ambiguity there for me. I'm sure there are a bunch of other ways to say it. One of the fun things about the word scripture is it means a whole bunch of different things to different people, as does scripture, although that might be the fallacy of imitative form. But the point being that Washington is being brought forward here not as a person to be refuted, which you might potentially expect, right, because there's a lot of uh, tension around public figures who were slave owners or in the case of washington right their wife had slaves and there was a complicated legal battle and he probably did and didn't and it's you know, whatever it says he didn't like it but didn't really do it till it was later um but the point being that like if you're expecting a full-throated endorsement of washington you don't quite get it but if you're expecting washington to be thrown out of the bus you also don't get that what you get is the acknowledgement of this old saying not named right that uh is positioned as critical in our history, uh, both as a, a religious people, right? This is the religion that we practice, and our relationship to, to Abrahamic scripture, um, and also as an as an American people. And and just to, to breeze through it, I think that Washington's silent presence is powerful because we have this line, right? Um, no one shall make them afraid if we're to live up to our own time. So if we, so that to me says, okay, Washington was a man of his time. We are to live up to our own time. We cannot think that Washington was good enough, right? We have to live to our own standards. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, we're not entirely damning Washington because he was a man of his own time, right? Then, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made, which I think is wonderful because of course, George Washington is a bridge, Right. George Washington is not only a bridge. (laughs) He is a, he is a bridge to uptown Manhattan. (laughs) So like if you're in New Jersey, it's it's quiet uptown. It is. It is quiet uptown. Uh, uh, the traffic is unimaginable. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, I'm just saying, if you're in New Jersey and you want to go to Harlem, you cross George Washington, right? (laughs) Like, that's what you do. And so I just think it's an interesting little wordplay there, a nice little joke. Uh, But also, I think a a prescient one, the idea that the traditions that we have, uh, it's almost like a swords to plowshares moment. So gain life equal to the creature's power that you've exiled. But uh, magic gathering joke. But (laughs) that that George Washington has a sword, but he also has a bridge, right? Uh that's and that's the I just think that there's just this this little nestled and stacked little little wordplay there that I just love. Um the promised so here's another one of your words. Your 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 words this one I think is by your words I mean uh imitative post Germanic past tenses, right? That are created by playing with vowel tones. Right. Yeah. Uh, that is the promised glade. Right? Uh-huh. Um the hill we climb if only we dare right it's like glade is is it's partially it's a it's it's related to glad but it's also like did we glade the hill we climb i might have mistranscribed it initially but it's it's like it's almost as if the hill we climb is being is being populated with trees yep right because a glade is is a is a clearing in the middle of a forest right and the hill but the hill heretofore has not been described as having trees on it and of course the fig tree right is is this legacy of washington the fig tree not the cherry tree so if the fig tree is is the promise to the individual then the forest of fig trees is the promise to the group and the promised glade is the collection of all of the fig trees that all of the americans are supposed to be sitting on which clears as you crest the hill climb, which I'm is sorry, Pete. I
0: amended your transcription wrong. Uh, oh, you did. Yeah, the, I the, had it right. I had it right. Well, it was you left out two. Sorry, I thought it was you. What you typed was that is the is the Promise Glade, and I yeah. thought the Promised Glade. Surely, uh, but no, I was wrong. I oh. just checked a different. I just checked a different uh, transcription, and um, the good people at Town and Country Magazine. Uh, which was the first one Google gave me was, uh, that is the promise to glade.
1: Yes. The hill we,
0: the hill we climb. Not a
1: common use of the word as far as I know. I've never found it. I think it's might be new. I don't know. Um, but yeah, to glade, right. Which is to populate the area around a clearing with trees. Uh, right. (laughs) I suppose. Right. To bring a glade into experience, uh, into existence by reforestation, (laughs) <laughs> I suppose I mean I don't know what, what did you think about that yeah I mean, a, yeah
0: well it's it struck me what struck me honestly most about this this little passage is that the hill we climb that the title of the poem appears in um, uh, appears in the poem at this point and it's it like when the title of a work appears in the work. Uh, like that, that is one to like, uh, write, to write your senior thesis on, you know, yeah. like that, that like underline it, highlight it, put a star in the margin and most of all, figure out what it's doing there. And I, I sort of figured actually that this was sort of the apex of the, uh, that this was sort of the apex of the hill, right? If you sort of think of the, if you sort of think of the, um, foregoing parts of the poem as being sort of about the past and, and sort of about how we got to this point, how we, how we, uh, how we climbed or were clum, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the, uh, but the following bits are going to be about, about something else and that this is the sort of, this is the, uh, inflection point, um, yeah, this is the inflection point of it. We're either we've either been going down and we're going to turn and go up or else we were going up and we are going to uh, turn now and go down uh, for as our friend, the noble Duke of Uke of dork <laughs> tells us <laughs> <laughs> when you're up, you're down. And when you're down, you're up. And when you're only halfway up, you're down, neither nor up, down. Man, that uh, crisp, minty taste of a York peppermint patty
1: <laughs> makes me feel like I'm skiing down the hill we climb. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's because, so, Pete, being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. And to me, you know, to me, we're about to start a new... Um, uh, uh, we're going to start a new section of the poem now. Um, but, like, uh, what, <laughs> what, what comes to mind when you think... Repair it <laughs> when you think of uh, uh, when you think of um, America's uh, history with its uh, enslaved people and uh, present day African-Americans and you hear rep. Repair Is there some sort repair? of participle <laughs> participular
1: verbal yeah. noun right. with an extra an extra syllable at the yeah, end? Yeah, perhaps
0: perhaps I mean we've had so many uh Anglo Saxon words, right? Perhaps a romance yeah. word, right? Per, perhaps huh. a really a Norman word. So a a repair Chiant. Reparation. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is like how how we repair it. How do we repair it? Literally, we repair it with reparations because that's the definition of that <laughs> word. Because that's what it means to Which repair. is just—it's
1: a lovely couplet. She's really she's really dancing on the line here.
0: Yeah, in that
1: in saying being American is more than a pride we inherit acknowledges that being American is a pride we inherit. Right she's even going so far as to say that it's something to be that there is a pride associated with it but it's the past we step into and how we repair it so she is she just talked about Washington a little bit and now she's talking about how great it is to be American and now she's saying and by the way I also support reparations and she's saying right. it on Capitol Hill at the inauguration right and, um, and also so. also
0: just in a really good really good dactylic line right it's the past we step into and how we repair it
1: yeah. Yeah, man. She just this, there's so much so many metrical styles. Yeah, this is uh, it's 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 it is. Uh, super,
0: yeah, super good. Uh, dancing actually is a really good uh- uh, it's a really good metaphor. All right. But we, we, we have to push on. Um, okay. Okay. So we, let's, let's elide this next section a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it real fast. Yeah. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it, uh, rhymes with repair it, uh, would yep. destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. Alliteration. And- And this very effort nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated.
1: Sort of a chiasmatic alliteration almost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, without chiasmatic, but it's like double alliteration, but stacked on top of each other.
0: Also, the idea that that democracy, like the kingdom of God, democracy is inevitable, but always just over the horizon you know, is, is interesting. An interesting idea here. Uh, in this truth, in this faith, we trust for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. (laughs) Pete, Pete, I, this, a huge missed opportunity in these lines, Pete, why does she not say for while we have our eyes on the future, the future has its eyes on us. Why, why does she say if you've been listening to our
1: podcast, history having its eyes on you is from Tolkien because <laughs> Sauron's eye at Baradur is able to see all of Middle Earth. <laughs> oh, right, of course. <laughs> and Tolkien only likes Anglo-Saxon verse because he's the very strange and narrow sort of ethnocentrist. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> elves, man, elves. So sorry. Uh, History has its eyes on you. Is from Hamilton. If you haven't seen Hamilton, you should watch it on Disney Plus. If you don't have Disney Plus, then go to someone's house who has Disney Plus and suggest that you watch Hamilton, and they'll probably. <laughs> say, oh, yeah, we should do that. You mean we can do that whenever we want, just because I have 50 plus? Yeah, I got it for free with my cell phone bill. right? But your exactly. cell phone bill cost you a lot of money. Oh, well. <laughs> 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 and you know what? If they say, I don't really feel like watching Hamilton right now, you know what you say to them, Matt? What's that? I'm willing to wait for it.
0: <laughs> uh- <laughs> so, so yeah, let's I. I just, just cause I'm not in the mood, uh, and I think neither are you. That is, uh, in, in your notes here, you have this labeled the Trump section. And right. enough said, enough said about all of that. It is well, it is well put, but, yeah. uh, it is not necessarily something, uh, I think that the, you know, the most hopeful bit in it is the idea of it can never be permanently defeated. Like, uh, the idea of kind of democracy as an in- inevitability uh that can that can be delayed, but not that can be sort of forestalled, but not um foregone entirely right, exactly. And this is the era of just redemption or just redemption. We feared at its inception we did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it, we found the power to author a new chapter to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we add, and just like, just listen to all that internal rhyme. It's, you know, there's a musical term, um, uh, called hemiola, where you create kind of like a primary, you create a secondary rhythm. Um and a primary and a primary rhythm um it 's actually it this isn 't strictly what it is it's it 's usually used at cadence to kind of slow down before the cadence, but like if you have one two three 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 right, and it 's a way of kind of creating. Uh, there's like a main rhythm, there's like a main beat, and then there's kind of like a secondary pulse that goes along, and you can kind of like feel, you know, really, really feel that that Bach jazz, you know, um, in the the hemiola. It's not quite the same phenomenon, but it sounds similar to the ear. Is like I want to be in America, okay, by me in America, everything's free in America for a small fee in America, and that's really just the what the internal rhyme does here and also the like as you say the kind of the chiasmatic um or uh ch- chiasm is abba the there's yeah. a word for abab which i think is syncasis but i'd have mm-hmm. to i'd have to look it up again but like that that also um uh is happening a lot and it, it it creates a, creates a rhythm. Never mind. Gotta get gotta finish the poem. Gotta finish our reading before the <laughs> test. Before the te- the great test tomorrow. So while uh, once we asked how could we possible how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe, now we assert how could catastrophe possibly that's a chiasmus prevail over us. Right. Um, right. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's uh let's let's push on. Keep going. Keep keep the beat going. Yeah.
1: We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be—a country that is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. Uh, I think that this is used, this is another instance where she, at least in my reading, is recalling a great moment in in uh, the history of American racial progress and is rejecting it as insufficient at the present moment. In this case, the march. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we will not march back. Because we're already on top of the hill. We are at the mountaintop, right? Yeah. We don't have to go and do the whole thing all over again, right? We're, we have to move forward from where we are now. Um, this is this is bruised but whole, benevolent but bold, fierce and free. She modulates back into these strong end stops. Uh, a lot of, of course, a lot of alliteration. I do like how she uses words that have some currency. It helps make the piece a lot more uh, appreciable and identifiable before it was when she used the word shade and uh-huh. now she uses the word fierce, fierce yeah. very, feels very contemporary right benevolent and bold but bold fierce and free it's very immediate it's a good climax for that little stand well, and stuff.
0: it works it works in both it works for the boomers yeah. and and for the the zoomers <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's really
1: ultimately all poetry is really about working <laughs> for both the boomers and zoomers at the same time yeah. right <laughs> Though, I guess in COVID, we're all Zoomers. Oh. Also, in COVID, don't go to your friend's house to watch Hamilton unless you've both been vaccinated. And even then, be careful.
0: Yeah, even, <laughs> even then, right, wait two weeks for the... Put the... that
1: joke in your pocket until it's okay. <laughs> 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 and then go over there and just be like... uh uh, what, like, uh, I'm looking for a, my debt,
0: work, work, I'm looking for Disney Plus, that works, works. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> we will not be turned around or inter Listen to these in mm, the kind of end sounds, interrupted by intimidation, because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation.
1: Yeah, this is similar to before, where she likes to set up these frustrations for at the ends of the stanzas that launch it forward to something else right in 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 ja right yeah. i guess she's spelling ninja very slowly uh, <laughs> no 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 i'm just being too silly because i'm having too much fun um interrupted intimidation inaction inertia bad bad thing someone else does bad thing someone else does bad thing we do bad thing we do uh you know inheritance the 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 synthesis of all of those things, right. the next generation, and and Jean so Louis the Karn. the
0: inheritance can be you know um, good or bad depending right. on what you but depending on what you leave to the <laughs> uh, uh, to the next generation and the idea that like we will not be turned around you know we will not this is interesting Pete when after you climb the hill do you stay at the top of the hill? Like this is, this is seems to be what she's saying rather than like the noble Duke of York, you march them up to the top of the hill and you march them down again. No, we're going to live. We're, we are going to be a a city on a hill, but it is this kind of revision of the idea of what, what it means to be a city uh, hill and on as well. Right. Right. Um, that like to to the sense of uh you know uh th- th- we are we can be a city on a hill in the sense that we can be a treatise on the natural sciences <laughs> where the city is somehow about the so hill. you see
1: mortal engines Matt <laughs> it's like every city is a giant is on wheels and is slowly going up a hill, and the hill is continually getting longer and longer, and the city is continuing to climb up the hill and while it's climbing, it is rapidly reforesting the hill with fig trees right. And that's just like, it's just this Johnny Appleseed combine that's just uh, growing this whole uh, Swedenborgian grove uh, as, as it climbs this, if it, as it seeks the eternal mountaintop. Um, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. We, it's another little poetical moment because on one hand, we're on top of Capitol Hill, which I think is ostensibly a hill that exists in the context of this poem uh, or a, po- a a hill that this poem exists in the context of. Uh, but we're not on top of the hill, right? We're moving up the hill. Um, if you're at the top of the hill, every direction is down um, and turning around. just like in the North pole, every direction is South, right? Uh, anyway, our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. That's a nice little assonance, right? Yeah. Um, and then she goes into, so there's the ins, in, 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 in. Then there's the ms, right? Mercy with might, might with right. Oh, I guess it's, and then love and legacy and birthright, that's a that's a really cool little progression, yeah. right? Uh, merge mercy and might and might with right, and it's almost like you're doing one of those puzzles where you change one letter in each line until you get, you know, from from corn to burn or something. Yeah, I would, that would actually be in the middle. But so the more like
0: right, the yeah. idea this is this is uh, this is scriptural, right? This is Old Testament yeah. stuff. This is like the lion shall lie down with the lamb. Uh, right. Type of stuff, and it kind of imagines if you can imagine like mercy and might being opposed to each other. You know, might just in the sense of strength is not concerned with mercy, and mercy can seem sort of like weakness because it does not insist on its prerogatives. In fact, it insists on not insisting on its prerogatives. The sort of the best a uh, direct kind of scriptural citation i can give you is from the 85th psalm which is uh verse 10 of the 85th psalm uh in in king james is mercy and truth are met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other uh the truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven this is this is uh describing like the kingdom of god right like um this is describing like a future state in which things are all good. You know, uh, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This actually has these Psalms, you know, the Psalms have the like the sort of like strophe, anti-strophe, like they're in these sort of two, you know, two ideal lines. Uh, truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Um, sometimes there's a third, sometimes there's a third one, uh, a little third modifier, but like, this is, uh, this is kind of, this really is echoing, echoing this to me. Merge mercy with might and might with right. <laughs> now, verse 11 of the psalm is, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. And actually, I think the, the movement also from inheritance to birthright, you know, is, uh, the idea, is a different idea, right? Because one is sort of mm, thrust upon you, right? And one is, is sort of generative. It's something that you kind of, uh, that you're kind of born into and, and grow into, uh, rather than being something that you're sort of left with. That's sort of a residual after effect, uh, that could be, um, that could be bad. And it's, it's, it's also like, and these things, right? Like are, are figured here with, uh, sounds with N and sounds with M. Merge mercy and right and, uh, might with right. Um, pushing on. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with good old, good old boy scout motto. Leave the Yes. Campground. I was,
1: I was wondering if, <laughs> if you, if that was where it was coming from for you as well. Absolutely.
0: Yes. Well, I mean, I don't yeah. know if that's where it's coming from, from her, but like, I just hear, you know, like leave the campground better than you found it. You
1: know, that's always- yes, Yes, exactly. That's, I was going to say for me, that was always associated with low impact camping, <laughs> but then I looked it up and it's actually from Robert Baden Powell. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the, the original founder of scouts, right? The it, yeah. Scout. The Lord,
0: Lord Powell, yeah. the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the English guy. And that like, um, yeah. Or which has kind of evolved into what you call Pete gym teacher wisdom, uh, yes. and the aphorism leave every room cleaner, uh, when you leave it, than when you found it, you know, mm-hmm. that, which is great words to live by, uh, really, yeah. but let's leave behind a country better than the one we were left with, uh, Every breath from my bronze-pounded chest.
1: Wait, before we go on there, can I just point out one more thing? Uh-huh. It's really cool that it goes from birthright to the country we're left with. Uh-huh. Right and left. That's all. Continue. Oh, yes. <laughs> sinistra, dextra, sinistra,
0: right? Um. Good and bad, right and left. Sorry, continue, continue, continue. Every, every breath from my bronze pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. Well, this was my other, this
1: was my other favorite part of the poem is the phrase bronze pounded chest. I love this phrase in the context of this poem and, and what it's doing. It's actually,
0: and, it's very, you know, Apache John C., right? Like it's very Anglo-Saxon.
1: Yes, it is. It, it's a Kenning.
0: Yeah. Right. It is a Kenning. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You want to explain what a Kenning is? Well,
0: no, it's, it's not quite a Kenning, well, right? No, a kenning. Because the, yeah. the a Kenning would be like Amanda Gorman, the bronze pounder. You right, know? right, 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 right. Uh, you're right. You're right. But it's, the, it's much
1: more like, like a, like it feels much more like an epic epithet
0: like the wine dark sea right exactly yeah that 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 that, that, this idea and also just sort of like bronze pounded i don't know the idea of pounding i mean we started this poem in the belly of the beast literally in the hold of slave ships in the you know uh in the american slave trade and that like um the idea of sort of bronze pounded chests and the kind of the 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 physical abuse, tortures, torments, yeah. really, uh, th- that, um, slaves suffered in the Americas are, you know, are interesting. Like the, the idea of bronze is sort of this, this golden kind of brownish golden color that is like sunlight. Uh, but it's also, you know, a certain shade of brown skin, but it's also kind of the land, you know, and it's, um, Uh, uh, there's just a lot, you know, a lot that kind of aggregates into this, uh, into this particular, into this particular line. Were there shadings of it for you uh, beyond what I've said?
1: I mean, I think I had four of them. One is, the first one is what you mentioned, which is this violence done to browns chests, pounding as an act of violence that's done to those chests that hurts them, right? Bronze being the color of, of skin, right? A sort of brown skin tone. Then, Bronze pounded chest is also goes back to that fifth canon of rhetoric, the deli- which is the idea that you are pounding your chest when you are speaking in public with great passion, right? Yeah. That that she is she is pounding her chest as she speaks, and her chest is bronze, right? The, the Amanda Gorman's chest is bronze, right? Yeah. And she's pounding it because she's giving this traditional oration, right? But then also— she thinks
0: she was wearing bright yellow on the day, but yeah. Well, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, she's, she's, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I do. Uh,
1: But also bronze is armor, right? And so something that is bronze-pounded can be—it can be armor or it can be a statue. And it can be pounded in the sense that it can be forged and beaten into shape, Right. Uh, or it can be, uh, well, not forged, but it can be it can, yeah, bronze. Can be pounded in that it can be pounded into shape. Yeah, it's hammered. It can it's hammered, pounded, right? yeah. yeah, hammered. Or, or in the sense that it can be subjected to punishment, right? So a bronze breastplate, right, can be the can take these slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, right? Can be battered by enemies. Right. Uh, And but also a bronze statue that's pounded has been shaped into the glorious shape that it's in now. So this goes back to this this duality that runs through the whole poem, this dichotomy really more than a dialectic between uh, enduring between witnessing and weathering. Yeah. Right. I was about to say that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that you know, statues are both witnessed and weathered. (laughs) (laughs) But when they're weathered, they turn green, and then they look like Liberty. Uh, But that's also alliteration. And now we're
0: just writing the sequel, which isn't as good as the original.
1: <laughs> and we go from they really wrong. they
0: really made it so commercial. The sequel it was like <laughs> the, the original had this beautiful, yeah. you know, kind that, that, of unique unique vision, and then they just you know a couple of hacks went at it, and they just pounded all the bronze off of the uh, off yeah. Of that's the poem. that
1: song in the end by Wiz Khalifa, which is like, yo, it's time for the inauguration poem part two. We're gonna read it out to you. It just relates the the details of what happened. Uh, <laughs> that's the Ninja Turtle song. Okay. um... So we go from the bronze-pounded chest, which will raise the wounded world into a wondrous one, to we will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West, right? So so this is a cool enjambment, too, as we come into the next section, in that bronze-pounded and gold-limbed are associated with each other. Bronze-pounded being the, I suppose, uh, more mundane substance that people are made out of, and gold-limbed being the beauty of the land, And this sort of gift of the land. Right. Or, you know, gift, what have you, the sort of beauty and and blessings that the land offers um, uh, as such. Um, And uh, well, the amber waves of grain. Right. The gold limbed hills of the West are are, they feel also a little bit like the apples of the Hesperides a little bit like, you know, like Hercules going to go find the golden apples. Um, in the Atlas Mountains, I think, somewhere thereabouts near Gibraltar, I'm not right. sure. Yeah, he walked um, up.
0: He walked up right to the uh, to the window of a diner and asked, "Do you like apples?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they're like,
1: "Well, we have some here." And he's like, Hi, "I'm Hercules, and I'm here at the Gold Limp Diner, where they got the great greatest apples of the history." Well, I got yeah. Aphrodite's number. How do you <laughs> like them apples? There you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. So the the next section is the. Is the uh, I wrote Catherine Lee Gates, Woody Guthrie, Dr. King, Churchill, the rhetorical litany, right? Um, which yeah, is, there's
0: there's there's a poem, there's a part of an oration that's called the pair oration that is the the kind of the like the summary and exhortation, you know, that comes uh that comes at the end where you like really hit the theme, you know, you really kind of do your big effects. Um, at the uh, uh, at the very end and and sort of leave them leave them cheering and that's the that's the part of the the poem that we're in so sorry Pete. continue the oh, goldland yeah. hills of the west will rise from the windswept northeast
1: where our forefathers first realized revolution very anglo-saxon right yep. there right uh forefathers first realized revolution is pretty much a straight up uh that's that's Beowulf stuff. Yep. Um uh, we will rise from the lake rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun baked south. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover, and every known nook of our nation and every way, quarter sorry,
0: sorry, Pete. Yeah, go ahead. Eh, Ill, eh, uh, uh, sorry, rebuild recon- reconcile and recover, right? From front to back. We will. Ah, we it's build, like past, present, future. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, future, future, present, past. Right. So that oh. the idea, the idea is that like we're going to put the hardship behind us. Right.
1: Right. You know? Right. Sorry. Anyway. Oh no no! Uh, I'll just say what when, when I'm when I'm making all those illusions, it's oh beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of gray and, you know, purple mountain majesties above the fruited plains and whatnot, um, and and uh, but also like I think I'm like mixing them up, but America, the beautiful, right. This land is our land. This land is my, you know, the Redwood Forest, the Gulf
0: Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. The windswept. Yeah, something windswept, I think, something like like that. Um, Actually, windswept. She's also sort of reappropriating that from Reagan's final speech in office where he talks about the city on the hill. Um, The uh, But that (laughs) – hey, Pete, remember the other day when a president was inaugurated and (laughs) uh, Jennifer Lopez sang uh, This Land is Your Land? (laughs) Uh, and i i i looked around the the you know around her and i thought i wonder if these people realize that this song is about the expropriation of private property (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if they really know outside of the like the jingly jingly jangly clap along campfire song what woody guthrie was actually about don't be fooled by the rocks that
1: she's got all right (laughs) she's still jenny from the block (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, let's get loud. She used to have a little, but now she has a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. Uh... Wherever, wherever she goes she doesn't forget where she came from I suppose that Jennifer Lawrence has not in the course of her career made a particularly strong case as to opposition of private property as a concept <laughs> Expropriate, <laughs> yeah exactly uh,
0: neither Jennifer Lawrence nor Jennifer, Lopez. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. none That's of them nor Jennifer nor Jennifer Aniston none no. none of the Jennifers no. Jennifer have been... <laughs> Garner has been like nope get that capital one card <laughs> you know what I've, I've, I'm sick to death of these neoliberal Jennifers. <laughs> <laughs> on this neoliberal plane. <laughs> and every every known nook of our nation yes. and every corner called our country, our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. Diverse right. and beautiful, battered and beautiful. Once again, recalling hammered bronze, mm-hmm. right?
1: And this is the idea of a statue. Um, also, by the way, the nook, is an e-reader that's produced by the Barnes Noble company. Uh, And so every nook, no nook of our nation is referring to people on e-readers who are trying to download the printed version of this uh, poem when it comes out, which you should do. You should purchase it. Uh, I'm sorry. I own one of the only nooks of our nation. So I just like (laughs) to plug it every once in a while so that they don't take away all the books I've already bought on it. Uh,
0: Uh, Well, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And I, uh, I live in a corner called the Kindle. There we uh, go.
1: Yeah, It's funny. It's funny because when we were little, there's also a pacifier company called Nook. I mean, it's not a pacifier company strictly. I'm sure it also makes like nuclear materials and phosphoric acid and stuff. But like it also makes pacifiers. It's a brand of pacifiers that we had when we were little. And uh, so in my family, uh, Nook, my family of origin, uh, Nook is the generic term for pacifier. Uh, mm-hmm. But that is not in this poem. And that just goes to show that... Uh, you know, every circle of readership brings its own references and glosses into a work of a work of interpretation. Um, any, any, any who, we're we're almost there. I bring know us, we're punchy. Bring us, I know bring it's like, yeah. Bring when us home, day please. comes, we will step out of the shade. Calling right, so, back, so calling back
0: to the original bit of the poem, we, where Joy like Fenland's never-ending shade? We are not in the J.J. Abrams
1: mystery box. We are going to answer the question from the beginning of the poem at the end of the poem. Right. When day comes, we will step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Uh, right, uh, which is a, a lot to read at once, um, but because uh, every every line of this poem, it seems uh, like that you could dive into it and chew on it for a while. But. The question, if you you imagine,
0: if you imagine the relationship of a person, a shade or a block, right, and a light source, you know? Right, right, right. If the uh, shade, if, so if the shade is uh, the, the legacy of an unjust past and all the, the sort of horrors suffered by the people who endured it, uh, who endured that past, right? And the the light is, you know, the sun or God's goodness or you know, truth or beauty. Uh, though I've I've I have reliable advice that they're the same thing, right? And and then that's all you need to know, man. <laughs> okay, got it. Uh, on Earth, <laughs> it's all you you ever need to know. Yeah, if you go to Mars, you also gotta get directions. <laughs> <laughs> but the. Um, you know, uh, and then the person is in the shade because the the bad past is between the light, you know, God's light or the good light and us, you know, uh, or and now it's sort of reconfigured at the end because we are a flame, you know, right. and a flame is like uh, is an interesting is an interesting word, right? Like, because what is the what has inflamed us, you know, um. <laughs> Uh, a flame is sort of like the sun, you know, because the sun burns at a zillion degrees and like, Um, but it's also sort of the passion and a kind of a reaction to, to injustice. Like it, it sort of arouses us into uh, a sort of righteous state that yeah. is, you know, like being that, that is sort of like being on fire yeah. because it is, um, you know, I don't know, powerful, I guess.
1: And, and Pentecost.
0: Yeah, exactly. The, 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 the sort of the, the tongues of flame that the, bring the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah, the glory of the Lord shines, yeah. shines upon us, right? And so, uh, the new dawn blooms as we free it, right? So we're no longer, uh, in the shade cast by the past. We are the sun casting light, shedding light, you know, as, as we go. Uh, there is always light if we're brave enough to, to be it. And so it's a kind of like we started with one cosmology at the beginning of the poem, you know, uh, sort of sun, moon and earth, if you will. And we kind of flip it around uh at the end so that we're no longer kind of eclipsed. Uh, by the past, but we actually throw the shadow back in the other direction, throw the shadow right. back into the past. And in so doing, by the way, kind of illuminate the past so that it can be seen clearly and not, you know, mythologized or argued about uh, or, you know, uh, denied or minimized in, in various ways for various purposes. Right. So so
1: to recap, the question at the beginning of the poem is when day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? And the answer we come up with, well, when day comes, we step out of the shade, afraid on a flame, a flame, dot to dot. There's always light. And it's basically we are the light we have to be. If we can't find the light in the past of America because of the shade of the things that have happened, uh, then we have to be the light for the way forward. Right. Um, and I would even say, and I didn't, I have not read, I not read this in any of my m- multiple previous run-throughs of this poem, but there is seems to be a transformation here that happens with the shade, because if if we go back to the beginning, where the light is in the never, where can we find light in the never ending shade, the loss we carry, a seamless wade, that little um, uh, that little juxtaposition there between the shade and the loss we carry, and this sort of wound associate shade with skin color right and with uh, the sort of sufferings that endured because of skin color which follows us and haunts us but at the beginning and us of course here deliberately ambiguous right between those who carry the ships and those who ride in the ships right those who drive and those who those who ride them um but in the beginning, we have a never-ending shade in the first part of the poem. But by the time we get through the Washington section and, and through our sort of litany of the uh, – we're not even to the litany yet. But we're kind of we've, – we've kind of gotten to the part of like here's, here's everything that's bad that we need to fight back against. That's when we get to the bronze-pounded chest, right? And so we start with describing the skin color of uh, – in this case – in this case, a woman of color, as as a shade. Then we come to describe it as bronze. Then we come to describe it as, like, beaten bronze and battered bronze. And then we describe it as stepping forward aflame as the light of America, right? Right. And, and, and I'm getting a little bit of a chillier because, of course, she seems to have in very slow motion and entirely under the radar painted a picture of the Statue of Liberty, mm, which is mm-hmm. an African-American woman, right, who is raising the torch of liberty, right, as she steps out of her chains, who is, her, of course, made of bronze uh, and uh, her bronze-battered chest. And certainly the, the chest of liberty has been battered, right? Um, but we love it when she roughhouses, Right. She's a harbor chick uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry jumping back and forth between sort of uh daunting current events and delightful ghostbusters sequels creates uh, quite a jarring dialectic in itself um but yeah but but in this case in this case where she 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 described Washington without naming him I wonder if here she's describing the Statue of Liberty without naming it That's and calling on yeah and calling on uh, a a, uh, a kind of um, I, the, the term that I tend to use is new face of America, huh. uh, which are you, are you familiar with the term is uh, it's from a Time magazine cover. From, oh, yeah. is, uh, oh, Is
0: that was that the one Times person of the year where it was a mirror and Times person of the year was you. And that's the new face no, of no. America. <laughs> Yeah. The new face
1: of America. You are the only person that exists. Believe whatever you want. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, It's it's a Time magazine cover from 1993, which uh, which was showing
0: off the latest in morph technology to show you. Uh, Was it that like the average, the kind of the in-betweener person of America?
1: Yeah. The idea that we have all these new immigrant groups that are moving to the United States and it's going to shift the uh, the average, right? Now, there's, there's not a particular exploration of mode, median, or mean, but there's this notion that that uh, what that what we think of as as the ethnic baseline is going to be different. Uh, and that that is that of course turned out to be somewhat true, uh, in in various ways. But also just the notion that, well, okay, if you're going to consider there to be an American people right? And you're not going to base it on there being an American race, yeah. then you have to have something else that holds people together. And you're going to have to come up with a different way of describing them. And so, you know, in this sense, you know, Amanda Gorman, speaking of all of us as being beautiful, our people, diverse and beautiful, battered and beautiful, it, it lends the bronzeness to everybody, right? It's not just her bronze chest, it's everybody's bronze chest. Right. It's it's everybody becomes these statues that and everybody is able to lift the light of liberty. So there's an interesting kind of uh, it's 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 a dip. It's a bob and a weave, I think. And I'm and I'm I'm stretching to make it coherent more than the poem, I think, would would do my poem that in which I explain everything about this is worse. Than the poem that you're currently reading that doesn't explain it and just leads <laughs> it to the imagination, but anyway, I just wanted to point that out, right? Which is that the the light is is a light that both casts light on the past, but also casts light on the future, um, and that and that if just it, out of a sort of. Deep and boiling anger at the various negative reviews of this poem that we briefly discussed before uh, doing this
0: episode or pair of Are episodes. There various. I am aware of one trollish article in a <laughs> in a British uh, conservative magazine that was, right. you know, that got that that did what it was supposed to do, caused a stir, generated a whole bunch of of hate clicks and yeah. you know whatever. And like, but I'm I'm actually not aware of serious criticism or not criticism. I don't mean poetic. I don't mean literary criticism. I mean, like, I'm not aware of serious. Uh, derision, denigration yeah, of yeah, the poem no, no. from it from any quarter. I'm sure there, there are some idiots who have said some That's idiotic thing true. about it, but there, there always are. No, what I'm, what I'm actually, you know, not more afraid of, but what I'm afraid of in a different way is the kind of like, uh, getting stirred up by it, but not stop, uh, like, because a lot of people, like, the, the reaction that I saw online among my friends, everything was like overwhelmingly positive. Um, and, I'm a little worried that we stop at the kind of the more superficial aspects of, uh, the kind of the rousing, uh, qualities of the poem and don't actually stop to consider, Hey, this is a really good work of literature. Yeah. It, though it may be kind of unlike it, it may be, it's definitely out of the ballpark of things that I usually read, for example, you know, right. and like actually what I usually go to. Poetry for which you know tends to be more of a like a oh I don't know a you know a kind of facile wittiness or or you know what I mean like a kind of epigrammatic quality that I happen to like uh in in poetry and I think this just cuts deeper you know mm-hmm. than 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 I usually go but it the, just because it is unlike it may be unlike the literary art that you are familiar with does not mean that there is not like serious literary art going on here and that it's really worth, you know, it's really worth digging into to, uh, you know, to sort of get a sense of, to get a sense of what's going on. So I like, I, I, uh, I actually don't really worry about the trollish people because they're, they're always going to be there making um Comments on my Starcraft article for yeah, years. Exactly. <laughs> the, I, I, I wish I could delete some of it. Maybe I'll put a filter on so that I can. Oh, it's uh, so delightful. That I, so that I can get to them before you do. <laughs> by the way surely surely in surely in the 10 years since this article was written the you know the the globalist cuck who wrote this article about sexism in starcraft has uh you know realized the error of his ways no the the um i you know i worry that we sort of get uh caught up in the rousing qualities and don't actually appreciate what we have here which is a really good which is a a a, uh you know creditable um addition to the birthright of all americans and that like uh i don't know is the the thing i want to sort of walk away uh walk away from our close reading with
1: Excellent. I also want to throw in there. We will rise rather than we will let freedom ring or, or that uh, Maya Angelou reference there. Right. Another yeah. inaugural poet. She's referenced a bunch of other inaugural poems throughout. And I just wanted to not miss the Maya Angelou reference as well. Um, but, yeah, I think for me, my takeaway is similar, but I also see it in a historiographical meta narrative manner in that. If you were concerned that the poem is going to be a feel-bad poem or a poem of indictment because it is a poem that comes at the American mission from an African-American perspective, uh, you can put your fear aside because it it is a startlingly patriotic poem. Mm, yeah, I would suggest even and it is a start. And in the sense that it can do if you ask, you know, well, why bother writing a poem? Well, one of the reasons you would write a poem is because you can write it to make it staggeringly patriotic and also make it you know, indicting of the things that ought to be indicted, right? You can do those sorts of things and intertwine them. And the way, the way that you can do it is not just that the wordplay and the phonology and the structure kind of point to different meanings, but it's as you read it over and over again, you can see it from different angles and experience different parts of it. You know, there have been times where I've read this poem and I felt really jazzed up you know, and that sort of Independence Day feeling. And there's times where I've read it where I felt really sad, uh, you know, because of all the pain that's being expressed and the things that, you know, could have been prevented, one would have hoped but weren't. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's got facets and it, the direction that you tilt it uh, in a particular moment, it will gleam. Uh, I don't mind the fact that it was rhetorically inspiring, especially because of the setting in which it was read. I think that's great. And hopefully it'll hook more people and it'll get more people interested in it to read it more. Uh, you might, I think I might describe it as having a certain elegance, right. Mm. Uh, in that it's, it is complex without, uh, betraying its complexity on the surface. Um, and, uh, although I think if you were to stop and actually listen to that middle part of it, rather than speed through it as fast as we did, you would find even more depths to explore, um,
0: of such a terrifying hour. Uh, Yeah, they're, they're in the depths. All right. One, one poem, two episodes, nearly three hours of close reading from uh from Pete and it's, me it's, it's almost like
1: Picard became lacutus all over again but it's America
0: <laughs> we are uh uh grateful to you for uh d- journeying with us up and down this particular hill uh and Pete I am grateful to you for journeying with me uh on that same journey uh I'm given to understand there's a football game next Sunday. So, uh, maybe, uh, maybe you can explain football to me the way you explained basketball a couple of months ago.
1: Oh man, I am so out of touch, but here's the thing. Tom Brady is apparently still good at it. So, uh, I don't, I don't have to catch up that much on it. So there you go. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like that's not even funny
0: to you. It it should be funny. Okay. We have things that we have to talk about. it's, It's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's so nice that they help him, by just letting a little bit of the air out of those balls. (laughs) <laughs> are we still analyzing poetry i feel like that's poetic <laughs> but the uh uh but this uh this journey back to our our english language seminar english literature seminar roots uh has been uh, a great pleasure thanks very much for uh accompanying me and us on likewise this it. a pleasure yeah All right, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve.
1: So, okay, so maybe you can do like an you can't do a Netflix party of Hamilton because it's on Disney Plus, Mm. but maybe you can arrange some sort of simulcast with your friends where you can watch Hamilton. Maybe they can screen share and share their computer audio, but that probably would be breaking copyright. I'm sure they have some way of getting around it. Um, Man, if only there was just some sort of way where if you really wanted to do something, but the rules Weren't just preventing you from doing what you wanted to do, but preventing you from doing what was right. That if you had a way of changing those rules and rewriting them, there might be some way to experience Hamilton if you don't have Disney Plus. Uh, I I can't think of any other application that idea might have, but uh, uh, maybe the
0: Mandalorian. I'm not sure.
1: uh, I'm
0: not. uh, Yeah, I don't don't know. I mean, I I just feel like uh, whatever. I'll just throw away my shot.